Hey, thanks for checking out the Blake Benz podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Chris Mack, who's an EQ consultant that helps organizations cultivate emotionally intelligent leaders. She also just launched her book, Hashtag No Approval Needed, which you absolutely need to check out on Amazon. Let me know what you think about the episode, Blake at GoodAdviceCoaching.com. And as always, enjoy, and I'll catch you later. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Blake Benz podcast. I am chatting with a friend of mine, Chris Mack, who is a consultant who works with organizations to cultivate emotionally intelligent leaders. She's also the author of her new book, Hashtag No Approval Needed. Chris, how are you today? I am fantastic. Happy to be here. I know we're going to have some some good conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, for my listeners who's listened to me a lot, they know how passionate I am about emotional intelligence, also called EQ, for our listeners who aren't, aren't familiar with it. This is such a massive topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I know we're going to have to try to really squeeze in all the good things that, that you do and, and your insights on this. Before we jump into any of that, where are you calling in from? Home, Tampa, Tampa, Tampa Florida, third generation. <laughs> so it's probably miserably hot down there. Super muggy. Okay. I mean, like you walk outside and you just feel that moisture. So it, yeah, it's, it's, this is not a good time to visit Tampa. If you're not from <laughs> here, August and September avoid red flag alert. Yucky. Yeah. So, so the important question over, over anything else we have to ask is, is there any truth to Florida man? What, what, what is that? I don't even know of, what that term is. No. It's like this. <laughs> me. And this is our first conversation, so already I'm like alienating my guest. But it's like <laughs> no, this. No, this is good. It's this meme on the internet where anytime something like really strange happens, people are like, oh, is uh, it Florida man? And it's usually oh, okay. the news headline. It comes from like the news headline. It says a man in Florida and then does this really strange thing. Right, 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 right. And so, yes. Um, I didn't know about that meme because I don't know. I, I, I bet you, I'm sure my kids do. Yeah. <laughs> but... But yes, I refer to Florida lovingly as the freak show state. Oh my gosh. <laughs> anything that's weird that makes, you know, national or global news that's totally odd usually comes out of Florida. But having yep. said that, it's because we get a lot of transplants here. They're not actually born and raised. In so it's Florida. not, yeah, yeah. They not don't the represent Floridians. Us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's everybody I else. Love that. Great. Well, let's, let's go and dive in. I, I, I'm really passionate about EQ. I want to hear, and we'll get into all of that, but I, I want to hear a little bit about what you do professionally and also what got you really passionate about EQ. Well, for the last three years, I've been on my own. I started a consulting firm and I work primarily with organizations. I do some one-on-one coaching also, but it's usually because I'm contracted through an organization to do that. So I do coaching and facilitation and um, I'll do strategy days and really help organizations look at their blind spots as well as individual leaders because, you know, they all run together. We really have to look at both sides to be able to help individuals and organizations improve and enhance performance. So I started that three years ago and um, it really came from my love of psychology. I have a background in psychology and Before I ever worked in corporate America, which I spent close to 20 years in corporate America, I started out as a psychologist for the school systems. So that's where I was first exposed to emotional intelligence. 
And back in the day, you know, like 20 something years ago, um, we used to do train the trainer for emotional intelligence. So we would go around to different school faculties and teach the teachers emotional and social skills so that they could teach the students because we knew that they did better academically. There were fewer behavior problems, lower absentee rates. So that's really where my love of it came from. And then when I worked in corporate America, I was exposed to it from a business standpoint. So when I decided to go out on my own, it was like, hmm, what should I do? Well, this is something I've always been passionate about. It's in my wheelhouse. I see a great need for it wherever we go. And um, that was really how I decided to specialize in EQ. Well, so what was the, because you mentioned how, you know, you kind of decided to go on your own and it was like, okay, this is a sweet spot for me and something Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about. But but what was the tipping point that kind of made you decide, you know what, I think I do want to go out on my own and try Mm. something new and... What was that yeah, like? so I, I loved the company that I worked for. In fact, they're a client of mine now. I worked for Behringer Ingelheim and had worked really in the pharmaceutical industry for almost 17 years, various companies. And many people who are familiar with that industry know that they are constantly going through reorganizations. So I happened to get caught up in one of those big reorganizations and they were getting rid of five divisions and mine was one of them. And I could have stayed, they were creating some hybrid positions but I'm in my 40s and I was at this point where I was like, you know, that whisper was getting louder. Like you should maybe do something different, you know, where you can really use some of your other skills that you're not able to use in this role over here that will allow you to make a broader impact and do something you're really passionate about. So I chose to take the package and take that leap of faith, which was whew, very scary at the time. Um, but it has helped me get on this journey of transformation and growth that I would not have been able to be on otherwise, both personally and professionally. And so I have no regrets, even though there've been a lot of stumbles along the way. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, entrepreneurship and just, just business ownership is really hard. If, if I may, I'd, I'd like to unpack what you just said though, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You talked about how it's been this transformational process. What do you mean by that? it required a ton of unlearning. So what I realized was that we go through life and we start creating all of these unwritten rules that we may or may not be aware of. And we do this because from a very young age, they serve us, they protect us, they help us to understand and navigate the world around us. But as we get older, we start to realize or not that these are getting in the way of us being our our authentic selves, of pursuing different passions that maybe scare us, getting outside of our comfort zone. Um, So it becomes about unlearning more than learning. Because if you can't unlearn those things that are getting in the way, then you can't learn new things that can enhance your performance and help you grow. So that was the first part of it really was like, ooh, I got to shed all these layers of stuff that's holding me back. Well, I guess a lot of times you don't even realize it's, it's like unconscious bias. I mean, you, you don't even yep. realize the things that are, are driving your actions. It's just what's mm-hmm. always made sense to you, right? Yeah. We don't even question it. Yeah. And so we have to start getting really curious. And so it, we all have blind spots and it becomes really important to surround yourself with people who are not risk averse. So in my close circle, everybody's very risk averse. And I knew if I was going to go out on my own, that those could not be the people while they love me and I love them that I'm consulting for advice Mm. because they're not going to be the ones that can help me get outside my comfort zone, dream bigger, think boldly. 
So LinkedIn actually was a great source of inspiration for me and being able to connect with people that were doing great things. And I was looking at them going, all right, well, if they can do it, so can I. And being able to ask for help and guidance is really, really important. I'm really enjoying, I, I've only been active on LinkedIn for probably maybe three or four months and it's amazing the community yes. of, of people that you can surround yourself with. It's, I've kind of just been, yeah. I was thinking about it this morning. It's, it's, I was just like, this is kind of in, insane how mm -hmm. easy it is to access people and build that network of yeah. people who can really push you forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the book would never have happened if it weren't for people that I was connected with on LinkedIn. I mean, even just from, you know, the conception of the idea and taking even that first step, it would have never, ever, ever happened. So let's, let's, I want to get to EQ, but let's, let's park since you're already talking about it. Let's park on the book for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw that you had launched your book and I saw that you had a, I don't know if it was a launch party or yeah. uh, I saw some people that I knew who I had talked to who they were like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, Chris's mm -hmm. thing. And, uh, walk me through, cause you know, writing a book's a massive endeavor Mm -hmm. And is, first of all, is it on Amazon, by the way? Yes, it's available so for, on Amazon and it could be ordered from any retailer worldwide. Yeah. So for our listeners, you absolutely need to go check this out on Amazon. Hashtag no approval needed. Talk to me a little bit about the book. What was your inspiration for it? I'd love to hear more mm -hmm. about that. So I'd always wanted to write a book and never was sure what the topic was going to be. And even though I say I always wanted to write a book, I seriously doubted that I ever would. You know, to be to be perfectly honest, it was like, oh, I'd love to do that someday, one day, tomorrow, you know, next year. It was always that for like probably 15 years. So I was at a conference with some other people that I knew from LinkedIn. This was in March of 2018. And I heard a, a guy speak. He was one of the keynote speakers about writing a book because he owns a self-publishing company. And I was like, oh, that would be really cool. But, you know, the idea, I turned to the woman who was next to me, Lisa Walker, and I said, the idea for my book is not related to my business. I can't go chasing after, you know, any shiny new objects at this point. It's totally unrelated. People, you know, that, that are into my business and looking for my services aren't going to want to read that. And she challenged me on that. And she was like, who says? And I realized, like, that's one of those unwritten rules that's getting in the way, right? Where is... Who says? Where is that written that that's a fact, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just, that was like a self-protective thing. Like, you can't go chase after that dream. No one's going to want to read it. It's not related. You shouldn't do that. So I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So I pondered that for a little while, and I happened to hear this guy speak again. And in the meantime, I was really feeling this calling. Part of it was through LinkedIn. Part of it was just through a major life-changing event where my father had died a few years ago. And we had a celebration of life for him. A ton of people came. My sister had a number of women friends that showed up and I had hardly any. And so it was a very big life-changing moment for me where I realized, hey, I don't like this. And I probably have created this, not because they weren't important to me, but I was a mom of twins, demanding career. I put those relationships on the back burner. That day of the celebration of life, I told myself, this is going to change. And so over the last few years, I have made an effort to reconnect with former women friends um, as, and well, as well as develop new friends. And so LinkedIn was a big part of that. And as I started to um, develop these relationships and reconnect with women, I started to hear similar themes like, 
we're more disconnected than ever, even though we have all this technology and we're thirsty for real authentic connection. We feel like we're the only ones going through something and that's not true. And so, and then I was hearing some pretty outrageous, funny stories and I thought, God, somebody has got to write these things down. So between that part of the, my personal life and wanting to connect with women and then professionally using LinkedIn as a tool to get out there and learn from people and connect I put the two together and decided, hey, I want to see if other women around the world are having a similar journey. And so I put the call out on LinkedIn and on Facebook and just pretty much said, if you're a woman in your 40s, raise your hand if you want to be interviewed. That was the only thing I cared about. I don't care about your race, your ethnicity, what country you live in, whatever you do, socioeconomic status, how many kids, kids at all, married, not married, gay, straight. I don't care. Just are you a woman in your 40s? And so I ended up with close to 60 women, every continent was represented, even Antarctica. And, and then, you know, the rest is history. It was um, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of vulnerability, both for myself and the women in the book. Well, if, if we can go back just a second, because it's really interesting that sort of aha moment you had in the sense of you have this, this pain point, you have this moment where you mm-hmm. realize, I don't, I don't like how this is. But it's interesting how you, instead of it being, you know, and this is, you know, you walking out emotional intelligence, obviously, but how you framed it rather than there's something wrong with the people who aren't here, how mm-hmm. it was. And I, I just love your, your phrasing of the accountability. Hey, I, I probably created this. How did, you, how did you, I guess, develop that kind of framing or mentality where that was your reaction was to take ownership and then begin to solve it? Because I, I think that alone is very transformative for leaders in general. I, yeah. I'd love to hear more about how you did that. That's a good question. I'm not sure I have a complete answer to that. What I would say is that part of it is, I think, just living enough life where I've realized that in every interaction, good or bad, I bring something to that. And so it's always looking at, well, what what did I bring to the table that that helped to make that interaction good? Or what did I bring to the table that resulted in that interaction, you know, not being a positive outcome. Um, And so it's getting curious. I'm a very curious person, whether it's with myself or others, I'm fascinated by humans, fascinated by emotions and the impact they have uh, on our understanding of ourselves, how we interact with the world as well as with others. So I just was like, you know, Hey, I have this new lens because of this major traumatic event that happened in my life. How can I use that to my advantage to start getting curious and looking at everything with a different perspective? And how can I start living intentionally? So if, if I'm not happy with the situation the way it is, what can I do to change it? And it's interesting because I talk about it in the book and a lot of my good friends who I have really lost touch with that during that time have read the book and they were really hurt because they said, we're so sorry we weren't there. And I'm like, it's not your fault. Like, I don't, I don't look at it and say, you know, I'm mad at you or you hurt my feelings or anything like that. I understand why it happened. And I understand that it's actually very common in women from age 25 to 40, where those relationships get put on the back burner. There's actually research that looks at this. And then when we get in our 40s, we start to recognize, whoa, this is not um, filling a void, you know, by having these, these relationships on the back burner, I need to change that. And these women relationships fill a different space for us than our our love life partners do or our kids or our parents or siblings. We really need these friendships. They're important. Well, it's funny you say that because my, um, so my wife, 
So my sister-in-law, my wife's sister lives in our town. She just moved away to be a travel nurse. And last night my wife uh, wanted to go to Target and she started Mm -hmm. to cry because I was like, I'll go to Target with you. And she was like, her sister, Jesse, she was like, Jesse always went with me to Target. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll go with you. And she was like, it's just not the same. Not the husband. same. And I just, same. and I, it didn't hurt my feelings. I was just like, I feel strange because I don't know how to fill this void for you. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just interesting. You know, it's it is like, interesting. I it know, is. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think my husband has probably had the same reaction or maybe even had his feelings hurt a little bit because part of this transformation and this realization that I needed to really recreate or create in the first place, these connections with other women was like, I think he probably did feel left out, not understanding, well, why, why can't I be the one to fill that void? It's, it's a very different space. And um, the way we interact with women is different than the way we interact with men. But it, but having said that, I think it's interesting. I've had a number of men and read the book and review the book. And some of them have said, we're really jealous of the kinds of conversations and, and the deepness, the depth of the, of the relationships and the topics that you're able to talk about with other women. Like we could never do that with other men. And I think that that's fascinating. They're like, you know, we could talk about some of these things with our, our life partner, but it's not a safe, uh, culturally safe thing to do with other men. Um, so I've had a number of men who've said, Hey, will you write a book about us? Will you interview (laughs) us? We're really curious about what other men would say to some of these same questions. So actually, um, I've been toying around the idea that I'm not ready to start because it feels like I just had a baby and I need to rest, (laughs) but the next one will be on men and I'm going to co-author it with a friend, a man that actually, uh, I know through LinkedIn. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I love that idea. And I think that's so spot on is I think when I think about like my sweetest, most fulfilling relationships, it's been with other men where we could have like these really deep, mm-hmm. meaningful conversations, but I can think of like maybe one person in my life mm. or maybe yeah. two people. And so I think, I think it's, I think that's a totally accurate comment mm-hmm. by this person who mentioned that to you is that um, I think everyone really wants connection and everyone yeah. really wants a depth of relationship. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how men will, it's sort of like this, well, that's not very masculine, I guess, or it's countercultural. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not really unlike the EQ conversation. You know, as soon as you mention emotion and emotional intelligence, I have noticed a group full of men. I remember I was doing an EQ facilitation with like a bunch of construction workers, very blue collar, mm-hmm. and you could see the room kind of, you know, mm-hmm get anxious and nervous. Like, okay, we're talking about feelings. Like what, what is this all about? So I think it's a great idea. You know, from the time we raise, you know, from the very beginning of childhood for, for boys, they get these messages, whether it's from their parents directly or not, could be coaches, teachers, just whomever out in society, man up, boys shouldn't cry, you know, pull your big boy pants on So we're raising them in a culture of shame that says it's not okay to express emotion. It's not okay to talk about these other things. Like we don't do that. And I think that's terrible because when we, when we tell them that it's really telling them to deny their humanness. Mm, I love that. And, and we've got to change that. And, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. I love her work on, on shame and vulnerability. And I think we can start changing the narrative, but it, it's going to be at a snail's pace and it's going to require people to be like, no, that's okay. It's okay. You know what? Real men do cry. Mm-hmm. That, that takes courage. Mm-hmm. 
And I, it's something I admire, <laughs> like, all right, this person's in touch with their humanness. Yeah. They're not I, trying to, to keep a mask on and to maintain this facade. Stop it. Yeah. I love your phrasing there. I, I love how you've, you've put that of being authentically in touch with your, your humanness. That's, that's incredible. It's, it's just, it's funny. You know, I, I think again, it goes back to things we don't even realize mm-hmm. we, we affirm parts of our culture. We don't even realize. So like a good example would be two things I can think of. Sometimes my, my wife likes to drive. And so we were on a double date and my wife jumped in the driver's seat mm-hmm. and the couple we were with, he was like, Oh, you're going to mm-hmm. have your wife drive. And I was like, uh, I don't even, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's, an adult too. She can. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> right. And the other thing that was interesting was, so we got these Yeti coffee cups that are just amazing. And I'm sure marked up like crazy, but, um, she got a pink one and I got a blue one. Well, one morning I grabbed the pink one and I went to church mm-hmm. with that cup of coffee. And it was just, I, I pulled my wife joy aside afterwards. And I was like, it's amazing how many guys came up to me and mm. they're like, Hmm, Nice coffee cup. Right. I was like, I mean, this is so silly. I know. I was like, I don't even think about this. Like, what? Right. You know, that is so interesting. Um, It's funny when you mentioned about the driving thing. I mean, I I had this conversation with my kids recently, and I was saying, you know, when I I was born in '73, so you know, the the latter part of the '70s and all of the '80s was when I was growing up, and um, it really was. I remember. I remember noticing like one time when I was little during childhood that there was a woman driving in the man who was in the passenger seat. And I remember like, what? Even though I, my, I grew up in a family where my parents were divorced. So my mom was in the driver's seat, but there wasn't another man in the passenger seat. So to me, that was normal. But to see a woman in the driver's seat and a man in the passenger seat was crazy. And I remember like, well, I remember asking about that. Like, what do you think's going on in that car? <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. Uh-huh. And um, it, it, I, yeah, it's just funny that that still would be a thing yeah. today. Right, right. I totally get the cup thing because I, I, I can totally imagine that people are like, wow, I can't believe he would walk around with a pink cup. Yeah, you know? and, you know, and I'm, I'm probably making it sound, it definitely wasn't like harsh or anything. It's people... People were just making kind of jokes and yeah. And I just thought, you know, it's just so funny. And maybe it's because I've, I've been through so much like EQ training. Yeah. I just don't even think about that kind of stuff anymore. I'm just, you know, and I just think, yeah, it's just, it's just funny to me. I'm like, I can be a masculine Mm -hmm. man and I can embrace my manliness, but also not be constantly insecure about, (laughs) am I man enough or, I don't know. know. Yeah, no, it's, that's very interesting. I, I think there's going to be a lot of, topics to unpack and peel back the layers on when we do, when we do the one for the men. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. Let's, yeah. let's really dive into EQ since we're kind of mm-hmm. already getting on that. Uh, just for the sake of our audience and, and people always kind of have different definitions of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. since, since you are so experienced and you've also, what I like about you is it's not, um, some people will frame EQ in sort of like this touchy feely, like in mm-hmm. tune way, mm-hmm. The, the approach I really like is that your ability to walk out your EQ directly impacts the results that you're able to achieve and especially your business. And looking at your LinkedIn profile, notice you have very similar language. So I know we're really in sync there. I'd love to get just like your one sentence definition of what emotional intelligence is. It's a set of emotional and social skills that help you to understand and express yourself in a meaningful way without harming others to build meaningful and mutually beneficial relationships, to make sound decisions without emotions clouding your judgment, 
and to manage stress effectively. That's it. It enhances workplace performance. It's the differentiator. Yeah. And what's so funny about that, it's, it's just, and again, and it's typically men, by the way, who I see get uh, apprehensive, mm-hmm. but everything you just said, if you, add, if you pose that to any business owner, really just any person, Mm-hmm. And said, are these things you would want? I mean, every person, 99% would say, absolutely, I want that. Right. But, right. Y- but yet it feels like for a lot of people, EQ is kind of like this, um, I don't see necessarily a distant topic. Mm-hmm. I think people, it's like, huh, I don't really know about that or I don't know how receptive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the naming behind it that we have emotion in it. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe, I'm, maybe it's just anecdotal information for me. I don't know if you've had a similar maybe apprehension is too strong of a word, but people who are maybe a mixture of curious, but also kind of like, all right, what's this voodoo you're about to show me? I hear a lot of, well, we need to keep emotions separate from work. And I'm here to tell you if that is something that you ascribe to, that that's impossible. We are wired as humans to experience emotions 24 seven. What are emotions? They are impulses to act. They cue us into what's going on in our environment And they were created to help us survive. And so the issue with emotions today is that the part of the brain that, you know, initially was biogenetically engineered to experience emotions has not evolved much. And so back, you know, the beginning of time when when we needed these emotions to really help us survive, so we weren't eaten by an animal or something like that, um, they were, you know, obviously at scale as far as intensity of what we needed to help us to, to act appropriately, fight or flight. Well, now that has not changed. And and the problem is that our brains don't differentiate between a physical threat and a social threat. So put that in the context of a workplace situation. You're in a meeting, you perceive this person on the other side of the table to be attacking you because they had a dissenting opinion. Well, they might as well be a tiger who's ready to eat you as far as your brain is concerned. And so we can have these situations where we become emotionally hijacked or amygdala hijacked and they're overwhelming. That's typically when we're going to do or say something we regret. Or you will see people go into a fight or flight mode, but what does it look like today? Today it could look like you're withdrawing, you're shutting down, no longer going to speak, or it could look like, hey, I'm going to confront you right back. Mm. Which is not productive. No. So we that's why we have got to learn how to use our emotions to our advantage so that we can be top performers. We know that the people that are using these skills well are making about $30,000 more per year. Why? Well, they're closing the sale. They're building good relationships. They're getting the merit increases and the promotions, right? Because it's not just about how you interact with others, but it's also um, you know, how you interact with yourself. What are those thought patterns that you're telling yourself? So if I don't have, for example, uh, good use of the emotional intelligence skills, self-regard, that's going to impact whether I put my name in the hat for a promotion, what kind of projects I'm going to be willing to take on because, you know, I have this self-doubt that's going to keep me from growing. I mean, so there's a lot of things that people don't realize are involved in emotional intelligence. And, uh, you know, that's my work. That's what I try to do is shed some light on that. Yeah. And it's interesting how companies, because again, everything you just said, it's like that all sounds like major pluses in terms of like Mm -hmm. outcomes and productivity. And yet, so I have probably a narrow band of, of companies who are like all in on this mm-hmm. concept and, and pretty good leadership too. And that's, mm-hmm. probably, that's probably why they value it so much because they already use it. Right. But also I, I see companies sometimes who will say things like, man, you know, we really just don't have, 
we don't really have time to focus on soft skills. And I'm, I'm really, I'm trying oh, to get upset. Nails on the chalkboard. Oh my gosh. It's, it's <laughs> to be very frank. It's the, it's the term that pisses me off. Me it's, too. Is, me you know, let's, too. I let's call, call them it, power skills. They totally. are power skills. Well, and we have got to change that terminology. Yeah. Our values, the impact that these skills bring to workplace and to life. Well, we make it sound like it's optional. And it's not optional. No. I mean, if I mean, if you want to be a average company, I guess. But if you're trying to, right, right. But I mean, you know, for so you know, because we're just humans. I mean, relationships are constantly developing and forming, and so there's going to be drama to resolve, miscommunications, things like that, all the time. Yeah, and so for me, EQ is so crucial to any successful company. But it's funny, I guess, I guess it goes back into perception and stereotype. You know, again, you hear the emotion piece and it's like, it must be optional. Right. Well, and I think that too often people think it's just the um, the interpersonal part of it. And also it's difficult to measure. So it's much easier to measure, you know, well, how, like, what's the return on our marketing dollars spent or, you know, these, there are other key performance indicators or how much are we spending on technology and what has that enabled us to do? There's these other key KPIs that are much easier to measure. So it's easier to focus on that. But, you know, I always challenge people, give me one thing. Tell me one that you think that you do at work that's not related to EQ. And I'll ch- I'm happy to challenge you on that. So I actually, this was a while back, I put a post out on LinkedIn about that. And somebody said, I've got one taking out the trash. And I said, I have the skill for you that matches with that perfectly. It's called social responsibility, which is your moral compass towards the greater good. They're like, oh, but I'll I'll do this in in (laughs) workshops and people will be like, all right, well, analyzing numbers. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's could be problem solving or it could be reality testing. So when you're looking at numbers, if you're an analyst, are you able to look at them objectively? Is fear, anxiety getting in the way when you're looking at these results? And then is that impacting your decision making moving forward? What do you do with that information? So there, I really have yet to come up with one thing or had anybody tell me one, one role, one criteria, one responsibility that is not related to emotional intelligence in some way. Well, it makes me think of, so at my old company, when we were doing like these larger group facilitations, we'd ask this question think of the best boss you've ever had and the worst boss you've ever had, or rather mm-hmm. the boss you brought out the most in you versus the one mm-hmm. you were totally unproductive. So yeah. we made it about outcomes and write down like five words that describe them. And it's just amazing how for the, the boss who brought out the best in you, how it was always EQ related things. Yes. And yes. the ones who were brought out the worst in them, it was like the anti, it was still mm-hmm. EQ terms, but it was like manipulative, controlling. Yeah hard to right. access, hard to talk to. Mm-hmm. And there was literally, there was never anything skill related mm-hmm. that you would put on a resume. And so, right. and we would do this. I mean, I did this for, for three years. Yeah. Did this, I asked this question so many times. I never had anyone say well, that person was a great boss or I was phenomenal because of, you know, resume skill this. Right. right. Um, so it absolutely yeah. does lead to better outcomes. Of course. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes companies will bring me in and it's not really because they're being proactive. Um, they want me to come in and basically clean up a mess, but I don't find that out necessarily till I'm in it. And it's just comical to me. I'm like, Oh, if you would just bring me in sooner. Like if you can start from a top down in, you know, creating this culture where where we are going to be emotionally intelligent, 
We're going to talk about the tough stuff. We're going to expect conflict, but we're going to learn how to have productive conflict. We're going to create a psychologically safe culture where it's okay to have a dissenting opinion. And we're going to talk about our best failures, not our best successes all the time, but our best failures. People, you cannot have innovation without failure. It's impossible, right? If we're afraid to fail and we're afraid to speak up, your innovation is going to tank. Well, it speaks, it speaks to low trust environments where if you give the dissenting opinion, now you're either in the pecking order, you've moved down a slot, or even frankly, in really toxic companies, you, maybe your job's on the line now. Yep. Yep. And and I think, I think bosses as a whole, they know better than to say, we're looking for, you know, quote, yes, men. But Mm -hmm. some companies frankly are formed that way. And I I always think it's interesting when people want the EQ expert to come in and talk to, talk Mm -hmm. to them when, they're right. the, they, when the leaders are the ones who you're it's like, it's happened to me. It's happened to me. And I'm like, it's so interesting. I won't, of course I never, you know, say names or anything, but I sure. worked for two years when I first started out on my own with a, a large, large, large global company. And they do an employee pulse survey and they do it twice a year. <laughs> They've been doing it, you know, for whatever, 15 years, let's say. And every time they do it where they fall you know, really, really low as far as on the benchmarks is do people feel safe speaking up? Um, and so this is something they know, but the execs do not, there's no accountability as to why this would be happening. And it is just hysterical. And so they start, instead of peeling back the leaders, getting curious about what, what do I bring to the situation as a leader, they start trying to throw solutions at it. And they haven't fully identified or acknowledged the problem. So one of the solutions was, we'll have a company picnic. I'm like, what? What does that have to do with people not feeling safe speaking up? But it's that they don't really want to acknowledge it. They don't want to, they're not vulnerable enough to say, hey, I have a part in this. I've created part of this. So you know what they did after, you know, me working with them and some other consultants, and they weren't happy with where the direction was, which was going, which was like, hey, I've got part of this. In fact, I've created a lot of this situation in this culture. They decided they were going to stop doing the survey <laughs> because they don't like the results. It's absolutely hysterical. So I was like, ah, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> you know, you can't work with people like that. There's got to, how can you grow and improve if you're not willing to say, I make mistakes. I'm human. How do we get better? If it's always a them problem and never a we or a me problem, you can, you can't improve. It's impossible. You're mm-hmm. wasting your money hiring consultants. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's a money pit. I mean, you could throw as much money as you want in it, but until yep. you take the ownership, it, yep. it's just it's odd to me how. And maybe it's just like narcissistic leaders, but you know, it's funny how I've I've even had people who've hired me who I need you to fix this employee, and it's like, hmm, it's right, not, it's not them by the right, way, <laughs> you right. know, and, and some people are really like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. But then other people, I guess it's like the regrettable clients in the way of mm-hmm. like, Hey, you're just, let's just call it, let's call it what it is. And let's just be done. And yep. cause it, you know, yep. I'm wasting your money. Cause yep. I don't, and I don't know what you think about this, but it feels like it's, it's strange to me how people, I don't want to say, I don't want to say this harshly, but almost lack the introspection to realize like there was one guy who I was talking to and we got on the subject of EQ and I said, man, it sounds like, that sounds like poor EQ. And he's like, oh, it's funny you mentioned that. My boss sent me to an EQ like intensive training. It was like a six week training in Chicago, like 18 months ago. And I just, he told me that and I thought, wow, and you still haven't 
you, you didn't <laughs> right. wonder why he sent you to that? Like, right. It's, it's strange how people, and I'm, 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 I'm being a bit too harsh because I know there's things that for me as well that my wife would we probably all say. We blind like, spots. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, but what, what's the, there's a difference there though between that leader and then you going back to your father's celebration of life where it was like the click, right? And so like, what's, what's the distinguishing trait or like, what's the, it's just interesting to me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it really does come down to being comfortable, being vulnerable, admitting I'm unfamiliar with a situation or admitting I screwed up. If you're not willing to do one or both of those, you cannot have a learning mindset. You are fooling yourself and it, and any gains you make will be really minute. They will not be noticeable gains because you're not really having a learning mindset and you're not defining failure as just a step on the path to growing and transforming. So that's where it starts. And um, one of the things that I love to do with, with companies is work on feedback, not how to, we know we train people how to give good feedback, right? There's tons of training, but we don't really talk about how to be a good receiver of feedback which is hard because our ego, our brain sees feedback as a threat, even when it's good feedback sometimes. And so we have to start. And it's funny because even though I teach this stuff and it's a passion of mine, it's still a struggle for me when I get feedback that's inconsistent with a story I tell myself. Right? So I, what I, what I train myself to do and what I train others to do is to look for these red flag alerts. So your response to feedback, if your default response is to dismiss, deny, reject, or avoid, then that should be a red flag alert. Like, oh, okay, hold on. Hold on, ego. Time to put you in the back seat. Like, I appreciate that you want to protect me, but I can't learn if you're in the driver's seat. So take a back seat. Let me figure out what possibly could be right about this. Even though in my head I'm screaming, Screw you. Everything you just said is wrong, terrible. What you don't know what you're talking about. What could be right? What's different? So what do I what, what's my story that I tell myself versus the story you're telling? Where where are those differences? What's missing? Maybe we're operating off a different set of data. And then let's put it all together and how can I use this to help me grow? But that requires training, it requires introspection, and it requires being vulnerable enough to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm a human. I make mistakes. I don't have familiarity with every situation. It's okay not to know something. Mm. Well, and it takes, you know, it, you use the word vulnerability. I also like the, to think of it as like security in the sense of I'm secure enough in my identity to be okay mm -hmm. with this yeah. is a flaw and this is something I need to work on. And, you know, because I, I think you're so right in the moment, even when you're being polite and nodding your head, you know, internally, you idiot, you don't know. Oh, what totally. You know, yeah. or how dare you or, you know, and right. I, it's, it's amazing to me how much ego can keep you from growing and learning. And it, it feels like also, especially when you get into, you've had moderate success, or maybe even long-term success, like you're the leader of a company and you've been in business mm -hmm. for, because it's amazing how I'll, I'll talk to a leader and we'll talk about this topic and they'll say, well, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, mm. you know, and it's kind of like, and it is ego, but it's, it's, I guess mm. it's kind of hard to retrain your thinking sometimes and retrain mm. your, your approach. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to keep an open mind to remember that everybody brings value and what can I learn? 
what can I learn from this person today? What can I learn from this situation? I don't know everything. There is to know about everything. I'm not, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Who mm. wants to be the smartest person in the room? That's a boring place to be. Right? Probably, this, probably the same person who, you know, doesn't <laughs> want you to give them feedback. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But yeah, I mean, there's, there are a lot of things that we can do to learn and grow, but it has to start with that mindset. Yeah. Let, let's get really practical for a second because I really loved what you talked about. So, so essentially we're talking a bit about culture too, and the mm-hmm. culture that a, a business is building. I love when you dabbled a little bit into perception and you, mm-hmm. especially, you specifically mentioned how, you know, maybe my data set, what I'm perceiving is very different from what mm-hmm. you're perceiving. Right. And so I, I'm interested to hear what you think about this. I, my old company did a survey and it's also, there's plenty of surveys from since then Mm-hmm. on how leadership teams are very much their perception of the workplace and how business is done is often very different from mm-hmm. the frontline staff. Right. And in fact, my old company, their survey was basically, it was a 12 month survey on, you know, rate the company from like one to five or something like that. And the funniest things was that whenever the executive team rated the company at like its highest point, mm-hmm. that's when the frontline staff was rating it at its lowest point. And there's this massive this huge divide and this massive fissure that's happening where leaders feel, it seems like they're very disconnected often yes. from what their team and not even frontline, really all the way up to the people that are directly reporting to them. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think is going on there? Why does it feel like that time and again, we keep seeing this massive disconnect? I think there's a lot of layers there. So I think it's probably that you know, the higher up you go, you're not really in the trenches. So you're not really seeing things from that perspective. And I, and I love Stephen Covey's um, take on it where he says, you know, what if you only knew what they knew? What if you had only experienced what they had experienced? How would that change the way you thought about X, Y, Z? I think that's really important, right? That's really the essence of empathy. So leaders are not using empathy, which is a, a critical emotional intelligence skill to really understand what is going on and what is the perspective from the front line all the way up. They're, they're very far removed from really getting their hands dirty per se. So that's part of it. I think the other part is that when we train our people that it's not okay to have a dissenting opinion and it's not okay to speak up, you're going to get yes people and you're really not going to know what's going on and people are going to be disengaged. Um, morale is going to be low. You're going to be having people that work for you that really are striving to um, just reach the acceptable level of mediocrity. Because in order to be a top performer, it requires that they speak up and help you identify and problem solve. But that's not rewarded. In fact, the opposite is rewarded. Just keep your mouth shut, do your job. Okay, well, then you're going to have acceptable level of mediocrity. So I think there's a lot of layers there. And I think that if you want to change that narrative, then it's got to start with what is my role in creating this culture? And why is there such a discrepancy between what we see as an executive team and what everyone else sees? Mm. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how much that makes sense. Like, I think just in a vacuum, anyone who hears that is like, yeah. But then, it, but then it's like in practice, it's so weird how yes. people are hesitant or especially you'll see like these big change initiatives and I air quote it only in the sense of they'll roll something out for about six weeks and then it just goes back to, yep. you know, how it was always done. 
I was talking to a friend of mine or a guy I was meeting with and he was talking about, he works for this major fortune and he was like, yeah, we're trying something different. We're going to start flipping sort of like the pyramid of hierarchy where the people at the top are going to be really checking in with the frontline staff and hearing about what their problems are and how they can solve Mm -hmm. their issues. And it's this really big innovative initiative we're going to be trying. And I was kind of laughing and I was like, what were you doing before? You know, I mean, that's, (laughs) this should be. Yeah, part it of be, it's ingrained in, in the culture. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes me think of uh, that show. I don't even know if it's still on Undercover Boss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, that it's, was a, it, yeah. it's a great show because in every case, you realize you know, the CEO or whoever is coming down to work in, in the various locations with the frontline workers recognize like, oh, my gosh, we had no idea this job was this hard. And they come out of it that the executive comes out having so much respect for what these workers do um, because they're finally in touch and get to see like, whew, this was so difficult. I can't believe we are asking this of our people. This is ridiculous. We got to fix this stat, you know, whereas otherwise if they don't truly appreciate the experience of, of the employee or even from the customer side, like eh, we have more urgent problems we've got to fix. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I'm sorry. Did I interrupt you? I was going to say it's, it's, I love that show and it's, it's, you're retraining your mind to be empathetic first rather than, you know, blanket statements. And so, you know, a frontline employee is not performing well, well, they must just be lazy or they're, or they're a millennial or, you know, I was, I was meeting with a guy and I'm a millennial, which is why it was so funny. He said this to me, but he was like, you know, millennials are just totally unmanageable. I (laughs) I don't get, I really don't get why there's so much uh, hate, and I'll put that in quotes, I don't really mean hate, but you know, yeah, why, why, why the, um, the millennials get so much shade, as my kids would say. Well, mm-hmm. I don't, I think you're people, I don't get it, I don't understand, what is this? What is well, this? Well, I think it's, and here's what's really funny is, I have this picture, it's a Time Magazine cover that talks about millennials, and it's, it's like the me generation, or the me, me, me generation, and then there's the same magazine cover from like the 70s, and it's, it's, it says the me, me, me generation. So it's the exact same. Yeah. The rhetoric has never changed. It's just, it's easier as a boss for, me, for it to be your fault and be something wrong with you than for me to take that ownership of, oh, maybe my millennials are unmanageable because I'm just a bad manager. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I've done a number of workshops for organizations and some, for some universities where it's been specifically working with millennials. And hands down, those are my favorites. Because I see hope, I see bright minds, I see a generation of people that care about social issues more than they just care about themselves, where their goals are really directed towards um, the greater good, and they have this incredible moral compass. And so when I, I am inspired every time I work with millennials, and I wish that others could see the same, I'm like, you know what, CEO, president, come sit in on this, this conversation that we're having here during this EQ workshop, because these people are fantastic. Mm. This is the future. And I know that the future is bright because I'm seeing these incredible minds and this passion where they want to make a difference in our world, not just for themselves, but for the world at large. And I think that's exciting. Well, I'll go ahead and speak for all millennials in saying thank you. <laughs> someone be- someone believes welcome. in us. Yeah. No, but yeah. It's, it's, I love what you, you're doing a great job of, of very much like your perception. It's, it's the whole perception is reality. And you've, you very much have shaped your perception in a really productive way for, for us millennials. And 
you also mentioned perception a little bit earlier. It's funny how people, they don't even realize how their perception, it's sort of like the self-fulfilling prophecy of, yes. I perceive this about someone. It's, it's like, for example, the person who's maybe a, a bit standoffish the first time you meet them. Mm-hmm. And then every time you do like a meeting with them or they're on your team or you do a project with them, you always feel a bit uh, apprehensive. Yes. It, it feels like that's happened a bit also with millennials in general, where you know the new mm-hmm. manager is like, oh, I, I've heard that millennials are hard to manage. But, and I don't really know what my question is other than, or maybe a good question is, is, you know, how does someone become maybe self introspective enough to know mm-hmm. when really it's not necessarily the truth of mm-hmm. what they're saying. It's just what they perceive at a time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, it does. And actually you're making me think of something that happened yesterday where it's a friend of mine who's a sales executive with a, um, a, a home builder, national home builder, and their their sales numbers have not been good in this particular division. And so, you know, he's gearing up for the sales meetings, asking for my advice. And I'm like, this is what you need to do. I have a sales background also, so I can use my EQ and leadership development with the sales part of it, right? So I'm telling him, this, this is what I would do, you know? So he goes... First, it was, well, gosh, I wish you could be at this meeting. I would love to have you do this with the group. But that, that's not going to be possible because he's asking me the day before mm-hmm. he has to do this meeting, right? So I'm like, you've got this. You can do this. And he goes, well, I just feel like it's going to be corny coming from me. And I'm like, hold on. If you go into this with this idea that it's going to come across corny, it's going to come across as corny. You've got to have total conviction that what you are doing is going to get at the heart of the matter and you're helping people to be forward thinking. There's not blame here, but like, let's make it okay to uncover and have a real conversation about our beliefs, how our beliefs are shaping, how we're interacting with customers and influencing the sale. And so the example that, that, you know, he and I uncovered was if you feel like a typical home sale is going to be four or five interactions with a customer before they're ready to buy, how does that influence you as a sales rep versus if I go into it thinking, maybe I only need one or two, Mm. how does that influence my interaction, my urgency, et cetera, right? So I'm like, you cannot go into this thinking this conversation is going to be corny. You've got to go into this thinking that, you know, with pure conviction and this is important and we are going to uncover this. And guess what? This isn't going to be a one and done conversation. But now when I'm out in the field, we're going to continue this conversation. And it's going to be about peeling back the layers of what we bring to these interactions and how it's affecting outcomes. We can't put it all on the customer. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So it well, becomes like, what can I do? How can I change my mindset? And, and what a great example of how EQ directly ties to outcomes and productivity. Yep. And it's not about, okay, great. We have a touchy feely workplace. It's, it's very much outcomes. And it makes me think, and again, going back to like being mindful of your own perceptions, I was talking to a guy who their company had just gotten a new CRM software, I think maybe like Salesforce or something. Mm -hmm. And there was someone on the staff who wasn't able to learn how to use it. And he was like a self learner. So he began, she started asking for help and he started getting really frustrated. Like maybe she was being lazy. Like why isn't Mm -hmm. she trying to teach herself this? Like I did. Mm -hmm. By the time I was talking to him, he said, um, yeah, we're not on speaking terms. And I was like, Uh, Oh my gosh. Well, how long have you not been on speaking terms? He's like about three months. What? I go, how big's your team? Six people. And I thought, so a third of the team isn't even communicating because right. you perceived that she was lazy, that she just didn't want to do it. When maybe, maybe realistically, she just literally, no matter 
You know, it's like whenever my wife and I sit down to do the budget, it's like we will never, we will never find agreement. It just won't ever happen. And so it's funny though how we let that, that voice in our head or that whatever that storyline is become what then fuels our actions that then yeah. drive results. And I think we're uncomfortable with interpersonal conflict. And so when we talk about emotional intelligence, part of that is using the skill of assertiveness, being direct and firm, right? As well as using empathy, you should be using them in a balanced way all the time. But we allow these interpersonal conflicts to fester. We avoid, we become passive aggressive. Instead of communicating directly, we do it through email or text. Well, you're just opening up the door for misinterpretation and making the situation worse. And so what I tell people when I coach them is, hey, anybody that you would like to improve your working relationship with, think of that as a task like you would do with anything else. Put Create some goals around that interaction and that relationship and hold yourself accountable with some deadlines. So just like you would have to complete whatever deliverable by end of week, you know, next week, you need to do that with a relationship. So maybe if you and I are having a, a conflict, you know, hey, can we can we get together and, and talk about this? I know things went sideways last time. I really, this relationship's important. I want us to have a good working relationship. And these are the things that I want to talk about. And you put some goals around it. So it's one or two things that, you know, we have got to talk about. And, and what is it that you would like to talk about? And let's make that happen. And then making sure that it's a dialogue, not a monologue, right? That you're being respectful, but you're also being clear about what you need to improve the relationship and you're coming to an agreement. And then you're following up just like you would with anything else. Hey, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we touched base. How do you think our interactions are going? You know, is there something that we need to do differently or are we, are we on the right track? Hmm. It really can be as simple as that. Yeah. Well, and I love that because you make it so tangible and yet it's funny to me how often people will avoid those conversations or, or they'll have them with everyone else but the person. Yes. You know, you get home from work. Oh, let me tell you what so-and-so did yeah. today. Or they'll, they tell me like, oh, I've tried that before. But have you really? Yeah. Not like this. I guarantee you, you haven't like this. You know, you probably said something that was in, in a high emotional state, which is not yeah. what you want to do. Be your own referee. Emotions are high. This this conversation is important. I, I, I'm not blowing you off, but I need mm -hmm. some time to process and think about this. Can we come back together later this afternoon or tomorrow yeah. or whatever that is? Well, I mean, and again, we're humans, right? And so it's just totally. like it's just like any other relationship that we're managing. Mm -hmm. You know, just like you want a productive relationship with your spouse, you want a productive relationship with the people you work with. And it, I think you're so spot on in saying how resistant we are to these conversations. I was I was doing this training with a group of people on candidness and mm -hmm. being very direct. And then I did a one-on-one -on -one coaching with someone on that team the, literally the next day. And she was airing these grievances she had mm -hmm. with another staff person. And I was like, well, so are you going to are you going to talk to her about it? Oh God, God, no, no. Oh, I, <laughs> Why would I do that? I couldn't do that. Right. And like yep. the day before in the meeting, everyone was like, oh yeah, totally. Of course. And so I guess when the rubber meets the road, I guess we just don't like, I guess it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And it's, it's lean it's into that discomfort. People yeah. lean into it. It will not improve otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, and also bringing back the beginning of the conversation when we talked about our unwritten rules. So knowing that we each have our own book of unwritten rules. Mine are different from yours. So how can I have these expectations that you're going to follow my unwritten rules? <laughs> it's not fair. Mm. And so that often leads to 
conflict. And I recently was coaching somebody and she said, you know, this person reached out to me on the weekend through text, you know, how dare she in my household growing up, we would never do that, blah, blah, blah. And I go, hold on. Did she grow up in your household? <laughs> she goes, no. And I'm like, does she know about your rules? She goes, no. And I'm like, well, how can you expect her? <laughs> She's living by her own set of rules. She was like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. You know, I said, it's probably not even on her radar screen that that's unacceptable because her rules say it's fine. Right. And so I said, and also who made you answer that text? And she goes, no one. I'm like, ah, if you have healthy boundaries that you're not enforcing, don't expect anyone else to live by those. Mm, that's so powerful. it comes back to this accountability again. Right. And let's assume good intentions. Yeah. You know, she was assuming this person was being disrespectful and didn't care. But let's not start from that place. Let's start from good intentions, mm. understanding that other people are operating by a different set of rules. And let's just clarify what our expectations are. It's really mm. okay to do that. And it's, it's powerful when you give someone the benefit of the doubt. Yes. You know, instead of, yes. I love that whole concept. You know, let's, let's assume the right things rather than mm -hmm. they were taking advantage of me or. Right, you know. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what a different place this world would be. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been phenomenal. We, I, I can't believe I look, I'm looking down at the clock and we are out of time. Uh, I feel like we just scratched the surface. You've been an amazing yeah. guest. Thank you. How can my listeners uh, follow you, stay engaged with you? Obviously want them to check out the book, hashtag no approval needed. What else can they do to continue to follow you and be engaged with you? So I'm on LinkedIn as Chris Mack, K-R-I-S-M-A-C-C. -C. Uh, my website for my business is KMAC Solutions, so K-M-A-C-C, solutions with an S.com. The author website is chrismack-author.com. I'm around. I mean, I'm, I'm available. I'm, I post a lot on, on LinkedIn, especially about emotional intelligence and leadership development. So and I love to engage in conversation on those platforms uh, like that because I think that's what's fun. Hmm. Well, like I said, you've been an amazing guest. And for our listeners, absolutely let me know what you think about the episode, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com or leave a comment on the podcast. Chris, thanks so much. And for thanks, our Blake. guests, we'll catch you later. See ya. Thank you.